Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you have promised that the word that goes out from your mouth will not return to you empty, but will accomplish the purpose for which you sent it. And so we pray now that you would accomplish your good purposes in the hearts of your people through the preaching of your word this evening. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. You may be seated. If you'll please open your Bibles to our sermon text, Daniel chapter 9. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 19 tonight. In the Pew Bibles, page 745. I've been preaching through the book of Daniel in the evenings here, but uh, so we've just come to this in our series, but it is very appropriate for a theme of uh, Reformation Day. So, Daniel chapter 9, 1 through 19. Here now, this is the holy, infallible word of God. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent to Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, seventy years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, to those who are near and to those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him, And have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us. Yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity, And has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done. And we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand. And have made a name for yourself as at this day. 
We have sinned. We have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy and for your own sake, O Lord. Make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Do not delay for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Amen. As we commemorate the Reformation this evening, we come to a very appropriate passage in God's Word. If you know anything about the life of Martin Luther, you know that the great revival that he led ultimately flowed out of his deep study of God's word and the convictions that this formed in his heart. And studying God's word led him to become a man of deep and fervent prayer. One well-known quote of his is this, If I fail to spend two hours in prayer each morning, the devil gets the victory through the day. I have so much business I cannot get on without spending three hours daily in prayer. You often think, I know I often think, just the opposite. The busier we get, the less time we have for prayer. But Luther realized that the busier he was, the more he needed the Lord. The more desperately he needed to spend time in prayer if he wanted to get his work done. At the same time, he also advocated praying brief prayers throughout the day whenever there was need. And as we look at this prayer of confession tonight, we cannot forget one of Luther's most famous writings, the first of his 95 theses, which kicked off the whole Reformation, where he wrote, When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, Repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. And so it is so appropriate that we are here tonight For as we study our passage, we will see what a truly humble, repentant heart looks like as Daniel pours out his heart to the Lord in penitential prayer. This passage, it teaches us to be faithful in studying God's word so that God's word will drive us to the Lord in prayer. It will also teach us how to faithfully confess our sins to the Lord. And we also see tonight how God answers Daniel's prayers, how he goes above and beyond in answering Daniel's prayers. So first tonight, studying God's word leads to prayer. The first verse establishes the timeline, the setting. We're in the first year of King Darius the Mede, just after the fall of Babylon. According to our calendar, that puts us in 539 BC. And we've seen throughout our study of this book that Daniel is a man of prayer. When he needed the Lord's help to interpret King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, what did he do? He sought the Lord in prayer and he called on his friends that they too would pray. When King Darius outlaws all prayer except to pray to the king himself, 
Daniel did not cease his regular practice of praying three times a day, even though it nearly cost him his life when he was thrown into the lion's den. Now, interestingly, that event, it's recorded in Daniel 6, but it's actually not clear whether that came before or after this one here in Daniel 9. They're both right at the beginning of the reign of King Darius. So we know that Daniel is a man of prayer. And here we see that he is also a student of the scriptures. Earlier we read Jeremiah chapter 25, where Jeremiah prophesied of the coming exile. And he makes clear that it will last 70 years. Here in verse 2, Daniel, he's reading, he's studying that same passage. And what must have stood out to Daniel were verses 11 and 12. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then, after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon. And that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. Now, this was probably not the first time Daniel had read this passage, but something massive had just changed. For had not Daniel just witnessed the beginning of the fulfillment of this prophecy? King Belshazzar and the whole Babylonian Empire had just now fallen to the Persians. But perhaps there was also some uncertainty. For 70 years had not quite passed. Daniel had been in the first wave of the exiles brought to Babylon in 605 B.C. And it's now 539 B.C. Only 66 years had passed. And yet clearly the time for the return from exile was drawing near. And so what did Daniel do? Did he say, well, we've only got four years to go. God has promised that he will do it so I can just sit back and relax and let God do his thing. No, that is not what he did. He prayed In fact, God's promises should always drive God's people to prayer. As Calvin writes, the faithful do not so acquiesce in the promises of God as to grow torpid and become idle and slothful through the certainty of their persuasion that God will perform his promises, but are rather stimulated to prayer. For the true proof of faith is the assurance When we pray that God will really perform what he has promised us, nothing, therefore, can be better for us than to ask for what he has promised. And so, with his understanding of God's word, with the recognition that the fulfillment of prophecy was underway, Daniel's heart is moved to pray. What sort of prayer will it be? We read in verse 3, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Daniel recognizes that even though God's people have been under God's hand of judgment in the exile for nearly 70 years, they had not truly been humbled. They had not repented of their sins. And so he takes it upon himself as a leader of the people to lead them in Repentance and confession. You also see here that Daniel's prayer and pleas of mercy are accompanied by fasting as he dons sackcloth, as he sprinkles himself with ashes. All these actions are meant to reinforce his prayers as he humbles himself before the Lord. 
Fasting often accompanies intense prayer in the scriptures. As Moses fasted for 40 days and nights during his time on Mount Sinai, as he interceded with the Lord following the sin of Israel's worshiping the golden calf. Similarly, Elijah also fasted for 40 days and nights during his journey to Mount Sinai to meet with the Lord, following his confrontation with the priests of Baal on Mount Carmel. And as you know, our Lord Jesus Christ fasted for 40 days and nights while he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness. Now, the only time that it was required to fast was for just one day on the Day of Atonement. But God's people would fast to humble themselves as they sought his face on special occasions. In addition, we see that Daniel wore sackcloth. This was a coarse cloth typically worn during mourning. Here it's associated with grieving over sin. And this is further intensified by Daniel sprinkling ashes over his head. In all this, he is demonstrating both by his words and by his actions, his humility before the Lord as he earnestly seeks God's face in prayer. This brings us to part two, Daniel's prayer. And we'll work through the prayer here in four sections. First, we have the introduction and opening in verse four. Second, the confession of sins, verses five through 11. Third, God's righteousness in punishing Israel in verses 12 to 14. And fourth, his pleas for mercy, verses 15 through 19. So first, we have the introduction and opening, verse four. Here, Daniel's prayer is introduced, and it's described here for the first time. I've been calling it a prayer of confession, but here it uses that word, a prayer of confession. And Daniel may be intentionally following the instructions that the Lord gave in Leviticus 26. After listing the curses for disobeying the Mosaic Covenant, the Lord promises, quote, But if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers in their treachery that they committed against me, and also in walking contrary to me, so that I walked contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies. If then their uncircumcised heart is humble, and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob, and I will remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember the land. Leviticus twenty six forty to 42 And so as... Daniel goes on to confess the sin of Israel and her leaders. He is counting on the Lord to remember his covenant and to continue to be faithful to his people, even though Israel has not been faithful to her God. There's a similar promise in the parallel passage in Deuteronomy chapter 30. And as a student of scripture, Daniel seems to be following these prescriptions, trusting that God will be faithful to his promise of of restoration. Daniel then opens his prayer with a beautiful address, praising the Lord. O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. In these opening words, he first describes the Lord as great and awesome. And that's awesome in the old sense of the word, striking awe and reverent fear in the hearts of men. And he praises the Lord for his character as the God who keeps covenants, even though the rest of the prayer will acknowledge that Israel has been exactly the opposite. God's people had not kept the covenant. They had not loved the Lord or kept his commandments as was required of them. And in the next section, verses 5 to 11, Daniel confesses Israel's sin. And he does it in three ways. 
First, we see a very comprehensive list of sins in verse 5. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. Now, each term that Daniel uses here has a slightly different nuance, a different term to describe Israel's sin. First, to sin, it's an archery term. It means to miss the mark, to fall short of God's standard. Then he says, we've done wrong. That means to commit iniquity. It refers to the twisted, the corrupt, the immoral nature of sin. And he says, we've acted wickedly. This is associated with violence and oppression. And then we've rebelled. This refers to revolting against the authority of the Lord as Israel's Lord and Master. And finally, we have turned aside. They've turned aside from God's commandments rather than obeying his commandments and walking in them. Then Daniel confesses Israel's sin in a second way in verse 6. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. When Israel was going astray, the Lord sent them one prophet after another, after another, calling them to repentance and warning them that if they continued in their disobedience, they would be sent into exile. We saw this highlighted in Jeremiah 25. But they did not listen to God's spokesman. When the time for exile came, ignoring the prophets was highlighted as one of the chief reasons for this punishment. And so Daniel highlights this sin in particular as one for confession. But he's not confessing simply on behalf of those who ignored the prophets 100, 150 years ago. His concern is for God's people in his time. For the prophet's words had been written down, and God's word being living and active, it was still speaking. It still needed to be heard and obeyed. And Daniel was leading the people in this as he was studying the words, for example, the words of the prophet Jeremiah. He was seeking to understand, to apply, to obey the words of God's prophets. The third way Daniel confesses Israel's sin is by a contrast of character. Verse 7. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame. Righteousness is an attribute of God. He is righteous, and everything he does is righteous, just, and good. But Daniel confesses that Israel is shameful because they have committed treachery. They have betrayed and sinned against their God. By comparing the Lord's righteousness with Israel's open shame, we see just how great the disparity is. If you continue reading verses 8 through 11, you see that Daniel repeats the same confessions from verses 5 through 7 with some slight variations, but he does it in the reverse order, what biblical scholars call a chiasm. But one difference that stands out is what Daniel highlights about the Lord's character when he goes back in this reverse order. Instead of righteousness, this time he notes the Lord's mercy and forgiveness. Now, the Lord had shown himself to be merciful and forgiving in the past. I already mentioned when the Lord forgave Israel's sin of worshiping the golden calf. It was on that occasion when he revealed his name to Moses. And he spoke and he said, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious 
slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. And of course, Daniel's entire prayer depends on the Lord being merciful and forgiving. And so with this double confession, contrasting Israel's sin and the Lord's righteousness, mercy, and forgiveness, we have this very thorough confession of sin. Verse 11b concludes this section with Daniel acknowledging Israel's punishment and recognizing that it is just. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. Before we conclude this section, the confession, I want to note that this entire section, throughout it, Daniel identifies himself with the rest of the people. He consistently confesses how we have sinned, we have rebelled, we have not listened. That's Daniel including himself, even though we think of Daniel as one of the few faithful Israelites from this chapter of Israel's history. Even he was not without sin. He includes himself in it all. So let me highlight some of the takeaways from Daniel's prayer that we can use for our own confessions of sin. We too should confess the many different ways that we sin against the Lord. And there is great profit in studying the rich biblical vocabulary for sin. Notice the words here. We have sin, iniquity, transgression, wickedness, rebellion. It's particularly grievous when we sin intentionally against the revealed word of God, what his prophets have spoken, especially when it's spoken directly to us, when it is fresh in our minds and we disobey anyway. You all know the importance of regularly sitting under the preaching of the word, of regularly reading the scriptures, whether that be in your daily devotions or any way that you take in God's word. But of course, this is all of no value if you do not obey what you hear and what you read. But of course, we know we will inevitably not obey at all. And so that is when you need to confess when you fall short. Finally, note how Daniel wisely contrasts God's character with his own. The Lord's righteousness, mercy, and forgiveness with Israel's shame. We confess not only our actual sins, but our sinfulness, our sinful nature. And as we'll see when we get to the Lord's answer to Daniel's prayer, there is mercy to be found when we confess our sins to the Lord. The third section of Daniel's prayer can be summarized as God's confirming his promised punishment. God was righteous to do exactly what he said he would do. Verse 13, as it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us. Yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Now Daniel is seeking to change this. He is leading the people in repentance. He is pleading for the Lord's mercy. Even though the, the exile had been a great calamity, Daniel can say nothing against the Lord. The Lord was righteous in all that he had done. It was Israel that had been wicked and had deserved the Lord's judgment. And yet, Daniel goes on to plead for mercy. And that's the final section of Daniel's prayer, verses 15 through 19. We see this transition in verse 15, especially in these first verses, and now. 
And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. By bringing up God's mighty work of delivering Israel out of bondage in Egypt, there is a hope that God will repeat this act, now delivering his people out of their exile in Babylon. It will be, in some ways, a repeat of their coming out of Egypt. In verse 16, Daniel pleads for the Lord to turn his anger and wrath away from his holy city, Jerusalem. And when you put these two words, anger and wrath, together, the forces multiply. You have something like raging fury. And that's what God has poured out on Jerusalem. But this combination of terms regarding Jerusalem is found in another place, in Jeremiah 32, 31. This city has aroused my anger and wrath from the day it was built to this day, so that I will remove it from my sight. But here in verse 16, Daniel is asking for a reversal of the Lord's stance towards Jerusalem, that his raging fury would turn away from Jerusalem so that Jerusalem could be restored. And then Daniel continues for his, with his pleas for mercy in verse 17. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Here we see Daniel pleading especially for the sanctuary, that is, the temple. It was so desolate that we learn in lamentation, Lamentations that it had become a haunt for wild beasts. Daniel uses the prayer that we're familiar with from the ironic blessing. We often use it as a benediction. That the Lord would make his face to shine upon it. That is, he would smile. That he would look upon it with favor once more. And notice the key reason that Daniel cites. Do this for your own sake. Not for our sake, not because we deserve it. Not because we've done anything to earn it. Do it, Lord, for your own glory. And verse 18. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness but because of your great mercy. As we near the end of the prayer, we get a sense of an increased intensity and fervency in Daniel's prayer. Daniel pleads with the Lord to see the desolations of his people and his city. He wisely bases his prayer not on the people's righteousness, but on the Lord's mercy. They have no righteousness to speak of, but the Lord's mercy is great. And then finally, verse 19. O Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, pay attention and act. Do delay not for your own sake. Oh, my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. In this final verse, the requests, they reach a sort of rapid fire crescendo. Daniel repeats his appeal is for God to have mercy without delay for his own sake, for his, his own reputation, for his name, for his glory. And so Daniel, he's delivered his fervent prayer to the Lord. He's poured out his heart, as you've seen. Now the ball is in the Lord's court. How will the Lord respond? Will the Lord answer? That's part three tonight. 
the Lord's answer to Daniel's prayer. We'll be looking at the rest of the chapter next time, but let's read the next two verses now. Beginning in verse 20. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. And Gabriel goes on to deliver to, to Daniel the prophecy, was known as the prophecy of the 70 weeks. Now this prophecy, it's one of the more difficult, one of the more debated prophecies in the Old Testament. As I said, we'll be looking at it next time. And I believe all Christian interpreters agree that it speaks of the coming of the anointed one the Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ. So God answers Daniel's prayer first by immediately, even as he is praying, sending him the angel Gabriel and giving him this wonderful prophecy. But second, God is answering Daniel by revealing to him that Messiah, the anointed one, the Savior is coming. Now, I don't know if Daniel was able to fully understand this prophecy and its implications, as it's still difficult for us to understand even after the coming of Christ. But there are a few things that are very clear in this prophecy. It speaks of atoning for iniquity, of bringing in everlasting righteousness. And these are clear answers to Daniel's prayer. In fact, it's only because of the finished work of Jesus Christ that there is forgiveness of sins. For even the Old Testament saints are saved through faith in the one who was to come even if they didn't yet fully understand this. And there is a third answer to Daniel's prayer that isn't found here in Daniel chapter 9. For within this very year, King Darius, also known as King Cyrus of Persia, would issue a decree, not only allowing the Israelites to return to Jerusalem, but also commissioning them to rebuild the temple of the Lord. And so God was righteous and merciful, and forgiving. And he answers the prayer of Daniel perhaps even more graciously than Daniel himself would have dared to hope. And isn't that God's way with us as well? We may not be elegant prayers when we pray, when we confess our sins. We never manage to confess all of our sins to the Lord. How often do you pray with Fasting, donning sackcloth and ashes. But because we live after the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, we have an even deeper understanding of the gospel than Daniel possessed. We know what it cost Jesus Christ to lay down his life to save us from our sins. And brothers and sisters, we have more of the word of God revealed to us that we might study it and that it might drive us to prayer. We have the Spirit of God, which is dwelling within us, to convict us of our sins, to drive us to repentance and confession, and then to work within us for our sanctification. And when we pray, we have a greater assurance that God hears us, for we know that Jesus Christ is our great high priest who carries our prayers to the Father, And he is at the right hand of the Father, always interceding on our behalf. 
And so, brothers and sisters, let us pray with confidence, knowing that God hears us, that he is almighty God, powerful to act, and he is also our loving Father who will answer for our good. He will forgive our sins, for he has promised to do so. And he is able to do far beyond all that we ask or can even imagine. Although he will do exactly what is for our greatest good and what is for his greatest glory. And so while this passage may at first seem heavy with its focus on sin and confession, it is ultimately a passage of great comfort as we see how God is gracious to answer such prayers when we pour out our heart to him, when we cast our cares upon him, when we bring our sins to him, he is gracious, he is righteous, and he is also merciful and forgiving. For if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. And so let us be quick to confess, faithful in prayer, knowing that the Lord is listening and he will answer. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you are righteous and we are sinful. And yet we take comfort knowing that you are merciful and forgiving and you have demonstrated your love for us and your Son, Jesus Christ. And so we put our hope in Christ trusting that he has borne our sins on the cross, he has borne our guilt and our shame. And having risen again, we too are raised up with him to new life. And so we praise you, our God. Help us to walk daily in this newness of life, serving you and serving others in your name, doing it all for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.